0: or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. A bit about me, I uh, love coffee. I hear that Ryan doesn't like coffee, and some other people here, I don't know why. Coffee is so good. And so um, one day I'll convert him. Um, But uh, yes, I love coffee, I love uh, running, and uh, I really enjoy that. And I also love gardening. I love that I actually talked to somebody beforehand and then knew later is Michael and he said he also gardens garlic and so it was fun we had this connection in the first service and afterwards he says what type of garlic did you have you know and we had a little fun with that so it was really cool but I love garlic anybody else grow garlic here yeah maybe some of you not a single soul okay just the first service at least there's one of you in Lloydminster. That's good. Um, so uh, I do have some connection with First Baptist. It's been really, really crazy. It's really cool. So the first thing, I, I actually learned another one today. The first one was that I talked with Kenton and his wife's uncle, it was Bob Seal, is Bob Seal, and I took a class at Briarcrest with him, which is cool. So I, I know Bob Seal. He did New Testament theology. Uh, Gord Hansen, of course, was at Briarcrest, and I was there at Briarcrest between 98 and 2002, so I was there with him as well. And I don't know, there's this band called Kairos that you may have heard of. And uh, I actually, was. I I was a youth pastor for 15 years, so I had them in three different times in three different cities. Actually, Victoria, Quinnell, and Langley I had them in, so I've known them for quite a while. And the and the, the new one today was actually, um, I know Crossley's. So I guess there's Crossley connection, and there's actually Crossley's at our church. So it's a really cool connection with First Baptist, and it's, my, my church is Southridge Fellowship, I'm an associate pastor of Connection Community, and it's neat because it's, it's very, feels like home. Like, I feel it's about the same size, two services. It's really weird. Different building, but the people are just friendly and awesome, so if you guys have really made it really good for me this morning, so thank you so much. Um, for those of you who haven't met me yet, there's still time, which is great. So there's a, there's a story I want to share with you, and it's really relevant to um, this message, and it just happened recently. And it was really cool. God gave me this story. And so I'm going to start with a story for my message today. So I'm going to start with this comment, which is, some people should not be allowed to own things. (laughs) Like me. Like my tent trailer that I own. So I live in a townhouse where there's a one-car garage. And if you have a townhouse and you have a one-car garage and you have a tent trailer, you fit that in there. And it fits just perfectly into there. And you put about a billion things on top of it, right? Right? So you can imagine, you've got one car garage, where you're going to store stuff in a townhouse with four kids. Yes, four kids, I do. Wow, it's really full of my house. And I throw a billion things on top of it, and every year, something goes wrong with my tent trailer. Every single year. And so it's gotten to the point where my 13-year-old Jason, he actually says, Okay, Dad, so what's going to go wrong this year? And of course, I'm like, yeah, okay, he's catching on to my stupidity. So I thought, I'm going to get ahead of the curve. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to test the lights ahead of time. So two weeks out, so just the end of June, I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to test the lights, make sure the brakes are working, uh, like, you know, make sure the, the electrical is working for brakes. I can hear them clicking and all that stuff, electric brakes. So I'm going to plug in. So I drove my van, um, backed it up to my, uh, my garage, and I plugged it in. But of course, there's a billion things on it. So, I didn't want to pull it out. I just wanted to plug it in to make sure it works. So, I drove up, I plugged it in, and everything worked. I tested all the left and right, the brakes, they're all working. Everything, it's a miracle. It's amazing. Everything is working. I'm feeling pretty good about myself by that point. I'm thinking, oh, this is good. I'm two weeks out, and I I know everything's going to be good for my holidays. We're going to go camping. And uh, as I'm walking around the vehicle to go to to uh, to to do, to you know, turn off the vehicle and stuff, I hear my neighbor, and he says, "Howdy." I think oh, that's that's interesting. He's a new neighbor, so maybe he's from the prairies or something. I don't know, but he, I I I, I saw he was over there, and, I, and he called me. And he's like, "Howdy." I'm like, "Hey." And now, some of you have the same heart that I have, and I have this heart for people who don't know Jesus, and I know from his language, that he probably doesn't know Jesus. And I thought, this is great. I've never told him what I do. I've never said I'm a pastor before. So this might be my chance to take my conversation one step further. So I get really excited, a little nervous. Even as a pastor, we get nervous. But I got really excited. I walked over to him. We chatted. We talked about stuff. And, and, and I told him that I'm a pastor. He wasn't freaked out. You know, like he still had swearing and all that stuff. He wasn't weirded out by it. And I was, okay, we're good. One step closer. This is good. You know, we're good. And uh, so um, I knew his name was Paul. We talked to us. And, and at the end of the conversation, we talked about the weather and the Canucks. Of course, go Canucks. No? Okay. okay. That's okay. Down with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. No? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm not a Lions fan. It's okay. Um, so we, um, uh, we, we chatted about all these things. And then in the end, um, he did this thing where, you know, like guys are like, you know, like, hey, man, it's good to meet you. But then he did the pull in for a hug. I don't know this guy. And he pulls in for a hug and does this kind of like tap and does the half hug, you know, sort of thing. But I love hugs, so it's good. But I thought, wow, this is great. I just thought, wow, this is awesome. I'll walk away from this, this conversation. And I'm walking back towards my driveway. I'm like, man, this is so awesome. He knows who I, what I do for a living. It's not going to be weird now. I have to be in my best behavior. And, um, and, and I get back into my vehicle. and I'm like, I sit down. I'm just like praying. I'm like, man, this is so good. And then I turn on my vehicle, and I start driving away. And I drive about 30 centimeters forward. And then I realized that the tent trailer was still plugged in. And I thought, oh, no. And I go around and run around, and I see that that all the wires are all hanging out like this. And I'm thinking, "Oh, oh, I feel so dumb. Anyways, so I feel so dumb. I go. I went to my, inside my house. And my wife is reading with my with Benjamin, the one that went to camp, and he's and he's reading his own book. He's we're practicing reading over the summer, and and as he's reading, I walk in and, and I'm like, Christy, I feel so dumb. And then I hear this little voice from this boy that's sitting down. He says, "Feel dumb or are dumb?" <laughs> and at that point, I was like, Yeah, I feel. Really dumb. So the, the story I learned, what I learned in this story is that for the first time that I am dumb. No, I knew that a long time ago. No, the, the thing that I learned from this story, and I will come back to it later, is that sometimes we th- I think we rely too much on ourselves. We rely too much on our own abilities, even in these little things, and we don't rely on God enough. Even when there's something good, like telling someone about Jesus and having the opportunity to do that, we think we can do it all on our own. Today, I want to explain how this is so true in our lives and that if we want to follow God, we have to check ourselves every once in a while. We have to check ourselves to see, is our dependency on God right now? Am I still depending on God, or, and, or am I trusting in myself, my own abilities? Or am I really trusting in Jesus in my life? So I've been spending some time preaching through Luke, uh, the book of Luke lately, and so the story today is about the rich young rulers. If you want to turn to there, it's in Luke 18, 18 to 30. And I'm going to throw it up on the screen. Well, I'm not going to. They're going to. But it's going to be up on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, don't sweat it. You can read it off there. If you've got a Bible app, you want to pull it up, it's okay to bring out your phone. No worries. Uh, no Facebook. Um, and no Instagramming me because that's weird. Okay, um, so I'm going I'm to read through this. And I just want you to follow along to hear the story. And then we're going to continue with this. So here it is. This is, um, this is a man. He comes up to Jesus. And this is the context. So verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father. Well, all of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we have, uh, all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one has, who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So when you read a story like this, it can be quite confusing. I mean, when I, I read this story, I started asking these questions. Well, what would people ask when they heard this? What would I ask? Well, is Jesus asking us to give up everything? Like, is that what he's asking? Or was Jesus saying that he isn't good? Because that was weird. Or how about was Jesus being sarcastic? Because there's some sarcasm maybe in there. Well, I'll try to answer these as we go along. And if I don't, come ask me. Because maybe either I missed it or you missed it. But I want to make sure that's clear. I don't want to throw out a, a question and you'd be like, I still don't know the answer. So this rich guy, um, he, this rich young guy at the beginning thinks he is all good. It, everything's good. I've done everything I need to do. He asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's not a bad question. Think, what must I do? I mean, who, who wouldn't ask that to Jesus? If he is someone who is going around telling people about the kingdom of God, of course he would have that answer. But did you catch how he started the, the questioning to Jesus? He starts with this phrase, good teacher. What's interesting about the words that he used in the original text is that he uses this in a way that would be considered thoughtless flattery. You don't actually come up to a rabbi and you say, good teacher. This is a very boastful way of introducing this man. He, he just comes with, this is a re- revealing his heart of where he's at. So what's the problem with this guy? Well, He's a perfectionist to say the least. He definitely is really crosses in his T's and dot in his eyes. He's he's got that. He's done everything right. There's no action, no law that he hasn't been flawless in, or so he thinks. But what Jesus exposes though is that even when he does everything right in his own eyes, he still isn't perfect. Even when he thinks he does everything, it's still not enough. This man thinks there must be something else, so he asks that question. What can I do to inherit eternal life? And maybe there's a, just something he's worrying. Like Maybe there is something, but at the same time, I think that I've done everything. He's come to a, a place in his young age, a young man, or at his young age, to say, is this it? Is this, is this it to follow God? Is this all I have to do, just do these commandments? Is there something else, some other deed that I can do to inherit eternal life. Is there something I can, else I can do, Jesus? So Jesus helps this young man and re, to reflect on his comments, and I love how, he, how Jesus do, does this. He doesn't see it, but he has believed that he's been doing right since he was a little child, and there, there, there can't really be. Can there really be something else? He may not even be thinking that he, he got to a point where, I think I can stump this guy. I I, I, I think I could st- Maybe he's looking for some comments from people around him saying, Oh, look at you. Look at you all stumping Jesus. But that's not what happens. So Jesus responds with, do you, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Okay, so what's Jesus doing here? Because is he not good? This is not what he's saying. He's actually trying to help this guy to realize that when you're using this idea of good, it's actually not what you're thinking is good you don't actually understand. You're thinking that there's this this goodness that you can understand, but you don't understand it. You think that you can be good and arrive at this high level way up here, but actually you are way down here. So Jesus, what he does is he takes him and he turns him around and says, your place is way down here, actually. He has a little fun with this. So Jesus, what he does is he uses the commandments against him. He uses the commandments against him. He says, well, you know what they are. You know these, these commands that you should do. Do this. Don't do that. Don't steal. You know these things. Do honor your mother and father. But Jesus starts to show to the people around him that he understands this in his head, but he's not seeing it in his heart. He understands them up here. He understands how to do things right, on the outside, but he hasn't let it sink down into his heart. So what Jesus does is he does this really cool thing. He actually takes one of the commandments. I don't know if you realize this. But, but he uses the, the commandment, okay, go sell everything to the poor. So which commandment is that? It's the 10th commandment. The 10th commandment is do not covet your, your, your neighbor's wife, servants, house, ox, donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. He uses the 10th commandment, to say, hey, there's a heart issue. Why? Because coveting is a problem with the heart. Coveting is not something you can do. It's a, something that a desire. Coveting is something that, that you want. You want your neighbor's car, that you would want it. You covet it. And that's actually a problem with your heart. It's nothing you can—you haven't done anything yet. It's, a, it's an issue that he's shown with your heart. So you actually haven't done everything right. And that's what Jesus uses against him. He was doing it out of duty, religiosity, this righteous living, this, this letter of the law, this problem that he was doing, but it didn't approach it with his heart. So what Jesus just does is he scraps it all and shows everybody around it and shows him most specifically that he's built his life on pride. And pride has become idolatry. And what idolatry is, is something that has become first in our lives, that, and, and th- there is, this is where God should be. That he's created this idea that I can make it on my own. I can do what I need to do to inherit eternal life, but he hasn't done the right thing. First place in our lives has to be God, and, and, and first place in our lives should be our relationship with Jesus. That's the only way to inherit the kingdom of God. This pride, this self-reliance, this self-dependency, I would even call it self-salvation that he's tried to make up, became the idol. But the act of giving it all away would be something that that he would show himself rid of sin, rid of the things he should have done, and by doing that, he would have indicated his allegiance to God. Jesus says in verse 22, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So do this first. He even gives them a doing thing. To experience, so why does he? So why does he give this to this man? I mean, if Jesus hasn't told me to give everything away, he hasn't said, "Wes, give everything away. Give away your house. Give away your family, or family, your money, or whatever. Just give it all away." Um, he doesn't say that to me. He's never said that to me. So why this guy? Because it implies that he's actually asking him to join him in faith. There is a specific thing. This is an issue with this man. To experience God, this man must receive God's grace. Something he hadn't even thought of before. He did not thought. He can't do grace. It's just something you receive freely. This man has created a life that looks good on the outside and has deceived himself into thinking that there's nothing he needs, nothing else he needs. Does that not happen in our culture today? Does that not happen today? This is 2,000 years ago. but it also showed this man didn't really understand what he thought he did. He didn't really get it. So then the man became sad. And why did he become sad? Because, well, he was told what he needed to do, but he didn't want to do it because he was wealthy. He couldn't go all the way for Jesus. He could go pretty far, but he couldn't go all the way for Jesus. He was willing to brag about the things he'd done. he had done, yet he didn't do everything and anything for Jesus. He wouldn't, not couldn't, he wouldn't give everything away. Even what Jesus asked him of him would have been insufficient, though. Even if he did do what Jesus did, the issue was that his heart wasn't there for God. Even if he did it out of religiosity, it still isn't the point. Even if he just did it out of, sure, I'll just give it away. The issue is that his heart needed to be for God. And that's what Jesus was trying to get to. It wasn't first place in his life. So I'm gonna ask this question throughout the rest of the message. Would you go all the way for Jesus? For some people, it's quite easy. Some people they're ready, it's it's the timing's right. If their heart is for God, they just say, Yes, and I'm ready to do it. But then other people, it just seems like it's impossible. You think about someone who's far from God, you think, how is that even possible? But that's why Jesus uses this analogy of a camel and an eye of a needle. I mean, I think he's using this for humor here. Like, I, I, I did some research into this, and no, he really does actually mean a camel and an uh, eye of a needle. He's not thinking some analogy that wouldn't make sense. This is a ridiculous thing. He's saying it's ridiculous to try to put a camel through the eye of a needle. So as a good BC boy, I'm trying to contextualize the prairie, so I'm going to do something with you. So I'm going to try to understand. So you guys, okay, I wrote it down to make sure it's a grain combine or something like that. You know what that looks like? Yeah? Or a tractor? I don't know. I'm horrible, I know. Okay. But, but you try to imagine a grain combine or a big tractor, and you try to shove it in your pocket. That's like the equivalent of this camel through the eye of a needle, okay? So, okay, maybe, maybe like you take your car and shove it through your, the keyhole to your door at your house. Like that would be like, how do you, there's no way, there's no way you would do that. But the, the thing that Jesus was doing here is he's actually trying to make it really ridiculous. And it would be ridiculous to the people there. He's actually saying, it's pretty ridiculous. It's really hard for people to enter the kingdom of God if they're rich. He uses this because the rich people in, in Jesus' time were elevated to a higher spiritual uh, uh, way. They thought, these people are rich, so therefore they must have some blessing from God that I don't because I'm poor. There must be something else that God has blessed them with. And so the people they were very confused of what spirituality was. They thought, oh, they've been blessed, and so therefore they must have more uh, closeness with God. Riches were a sign of God's blessing to them. But Jesus says that it is impossible for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So they were very confused at this point. But then he says, but God can do it. They can't do it, but God can do it. Salvation is for the rich and the poor. For everyone, it's, a mir- it's always a miracle of divine grace. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. It is only by the power of God that someone can be saved. Only by the power of God that someone can be saved. Listen, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor more than you already have. There's nothing that you can do that will earn anything more from God. God loves you, and there's nothing that you can do that can strip that away and God can love you any less. Because God loves you so much that it's nothing that you can do, and that is the point. There's nothing you can do. It's not about doing. I know it's cheesy, but I was trying to think of how do you explain this in another way? We're not human doings. We are human beings. We are not about doing. It's not about doing when we're, when we're talking about a relationship with Jesus. It's about grace. This story shows that salvation is not dependent on doing. It's completely on God's grace, and His gift is that we receive it if we want it. We can have it if we want it. We don't have to do anything for it. We can actually receive it. It's a surrendering and a trust. So here's the question again. Would you go all the way for Jesus? Last time I preached in my church, this was about five, five weeks ago, right before I went on holidays. I was feeling really good about this because, and I'll tell you why, <clears throat> I preached after the, after the service. We only have one service over the summer, and um, this lady that I've been praying for for a while, her name's Liza, and um, her th- mom has been coming to the church for years, and she's been starting to come to the church. And I knew her because, and kind of at a distance, because her kids go to my kids' elementary school. So she's a single mom, and she kind of walks in. I kind of know who she is. It's kind of weird. I don't want to say hi. Like, I don't really know her. But, um, and so I see her, and why so I've seen her at church. And then we've started to have these conversations, and so she came up to me after the service, Tears filled her eyes, and, and she, she said, were you talking to me today? I was like, like, I was thinking I could have, but I wasn't thinking about it. Like, the, the message was just the message for everybody. So I just said, you know, Liza, this is, I just preached what God wanted me to preach, and I really feel like what I had to say about the gospel and, and turn it to Jesus. She's like, but, but that felt like those were the things I needed. So it was a different message. It wasn't this message, it was a different message. She says, I felt you were speaking to me, The issue is that she realized what she needed. Her heart was ready. She wanted Jesus. And for the first time, she wanted to go all the way. She wanted to go all the way for Jesus. So I led her to Christ after that service. I prayed with her to receive Christ for the first time. And now she, I told her to go through the Gospels, get to know Jesus. She's been tearing through her Bible. So I've, I'm, I emailed her just the other day before I came here. And she's like, yeah, I've gone to Matthew and Mark and Luke. And I've been going through stuff. And hey, don't worry. I, I, I go through it. And if I don't understand, I just keep going. So I just keep going through it. And I'm like, no, stop, Liza. Just like ask questions, email them to me or something. Let's really try to help you understand God. But she's just been tearing through. But she knew she wasn't good enough. I knew that because she told me that. She said I'm not good enough. Her heart was ready. She could receive the grace and allow Jesus to lead her. That's what happened. She knew that she needed to rely on Jesus to lead her. She knew it. She couldn't save herself. She was a single mom. She'd make mistakes. She admitted that to me. She couldn't trust herself anymore. She couldn't rely on herself anymore because she failed herself over and over and over again. And I just kept on saying to her, listen, in, amongst her tears, that I kept failing. I've been failing myself too. Over my, the years of being a Christian, I still fail myself and I still need Jesus. She knew that the only way forward was to change that. And that, that by what I described to her, that she needed Jesus and that she would comp- uh, give her complete trust in Him. Maybe you haven't committed your life to Jesus and you're here today. Maybe you've been invited by somebody. Maybe you just randomly walked into here. Uh, maybe you've been coming here for years and you haven't done that. And I, and I think you need to hear that, that Jesus has made a way for you. From birth, we are not perfect. From birth, we are incomplete. We need help in this world. So I'm going to go back to my 10 trailer story. I phoned the RV, RV places, the repair shops. Cause I, I remember, remember the image of the wires all hanging out. Okay, so I'm I'm thinking, okay, like I gotta like ruined my holiday. <laughs> like what am I doing? So I finally resolved I needed help. I couldn't do it on my own. I look, I tried to put the seven way. I don't know, like they're all crisscrossed, and I don't. There wasn't a logical thing. So I I decided I would phone my friend Nate for help. And Nate's a technician guy, so he's like, yeah, no problem, I'll come over. And the cool thing was that he just wanted to serve God. I said, can I buy this? Can I pay you for this? Can I make food for you? He's like, I don't want anything. I'm just happy to do this for you. I just want to do this, and I feel good about this, that I can help you out. And so for free, and in time for my holidays, everything was fixed. And it was awesome, and we were able to go into my holidays. But what I realized is that I needed help. I think I can do things on my own, but I needed help. In life, we can't do things on our own. We need help. We need each other, of course, like our friends, like Nate and others. But we, we do need Jesus. We can't save ourselves. We can't do things on ourselves. We actually can't. It's not, we're not built that way. We are built to need Jesus. Jesus was sent by God to provide a way for us to be whole again. He died on a Roman cross, and three days later, I believe it, that he raised himself from the dead, and it will come back again someday, that everybody who calls upon his name, as Romans says, and confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, they will be saved. They will be saved. And if this is you, I, I, I don't want to just limit it to me, because I'm only here for a today and this week at camp, but, but if you want to talk to one of the pastors, I'm sure they would love to talk with you and help you. If you want to start a relationship with Jesus today, if you are like that lady that just, just wanted to be abandoned to Jesus, that you can do that today, and I want to offer that. No one's going to make you. No one's going to point you out. I don't even know who is and who isn't here, but don't leave today without that. But for those of you who are Christians and have been Christians for uh, following Jesus for a short time, you know, a year, two years, three years, five years, 40 years, here's some take-home to think through. We are wealthy in Canada. We are wealthy in a lot of different ways. And in that wealth, we rely on earthly things and things that we are comfortable with. Not just money, but other things as well. And at times, I know I do it, I find it difficult to throw myself on the mercy of God and depend on God. I I struggle with that sometimes. I think, ah. I got it all under control. I don't really need to rely on God and pray for it even. Sometimes I catch myself doing these things. Not only material-wise we're rich, but we're rich in other ways. We're rich intellectually. We we rely on our intellect. We rely sometimes on our morality. I know that's false because we're always failing, but we sometimes think that we're good. We're not as bad as others. We tr- put trust in that. Sometimes we're rich in our artistic a- achievements and we, we, we get prideful over that or, or something athletic. Uh, what I'm saying is that none of us should be exempt from this message. If we own a house, a car, a cat, I don't know why you would, uh, a dog, a bank account, you are rich. If you have at least a grade 9 education in this world, you are rich. You are rich with skill. If you have some sort of skill or trade, you are rich. I know that we, this church is big enough and also for my own life that I know this is true that, that sometimes we put things in, our, in the way and we put an idol in our life, something that's in the way between us and God. We let it become, we could become dependent on it and we don't allow God to take that place. It could be a home, it could be our car, it could be our phone and all the social media. It could be uh, people's opinion about you could be anxiety. It could be relationships. It could be sex. It could be money. Or how about this? It could be stability and comfort. Sometimes we just trust in these things that we just feel like, if they just slip into, I just trust easily in the things that are, that should be where God is in our life. Could you give up some of those things for Jesus? Even if it's good, even if it's something like family time, could you give it up for Jesus? becomes a problem because we become self-sufficient, we rely on our own efforts, and we we become rich in ourselves. And if we're rich in ourselves, we're poor in God. And if we're poor in God, we don't rely solely on it, we solely rely on Him. And and that's the opposite. We need to flip that and become solely reliant on God. Will you go all the way for Jesus today? I'm going to share another story with you just quickly before we continue. Do you guys know what this is? I've, I picked this up at a bargain bin. Uh, some, they're just trying to get rid of these things. I don't know, a band called Kairos. So. Um, what, do you guys know what this is? For those of you who are young, you, you may not know what this is. This is it's a, it's a, a vehicle for, for transporting music, it's called, called a compact disc. And back in the day, I'm humoring you. I actually know what it is, okay? Um, but a compact disc. And you used to put it in your car or your CD player and you didn't have thousands on your computer. It actually was, you have cabinets of these things in your living rooms and stuff. Some of you may still have those. Uh, my wife made me get rid of mine. Um, but uh, back a long time ago, I actually had, I was a DJ for dances when I was a non-Christian. And when I became a Christian, there came this problem that I had with, with God, that in prayer, um, I, I I heard this in, voice in my head, and it was, you know all those not-Christian CDs with filthy language and awful things were in it? And I'm thinking, yeah, I want you to get rid of them. I'm like, okay, I don't want to. I don't want to get rid of them. No, I'm not going to get rid of these CDs. I love music. I don't want to get—why would I do that? Why do I have to do that for God? Then I heard a sermon, and the, and the, the question was, could you give it everything up for Jesus? And then, of course, I'm thinking. All right, God, I know you purposely brought me to this church to hear this message, to hear this. And I realized that God didn't want everybody to give up music, their music. But God asked me to. And he asked me that question, could you give it up for me? And so I said yes. I could. I could. And so I got rid of every single one of those CDs. Every single one. I just got rid of them all. And that was hard. That was... I don't know, $1,000 more? I don't know what, how much. It was, it was a lot of money that I, I had spent for years. And I was, it was my business, and I just gave it up for God. The problem is that sometimes we put things in our lives that are, that are secondary, that, sh- that we put in first place. And if you want to follow Jesus, he has to be first. There can't be anything else. The passage ends with Jesus saying, we have left all that we have to follow you, and it was cool about that is that Jesus responds in a good way. He actually says, "You know, Peter, this is good. Truly, I tell you." No one said to them, "No one has left home or wife or brothers or sister or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to, of, to come, eternal life." He says, "Yeah, you did leave everything. You have left everything. That is a good thing." This is the attitude. Not that you need to give it all up but just that it needs to be not first in your life like the disciples did jesus must be first if you want to follow him he's most concerned about your heart he's not concerned about whether or not you have more or less than somebody else he's concerned about your heart and 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 he explains this to this to this man he's concerned more about his heart than his righteous acts and jesus thinks the same way about all of us he thinks the same about me Will you go all the way for Jesus? The story emphasizes both the responsibility and the utter dependency that we need to have on God. We are helpless without God. We need Jesus. The bar is set so high that it becomes a point where we cannot even achieve it on our own. We're not perfect. We may fool ourselves into thinking that we can do things on our own, but we just can't. We just can't do it, we just fail. We think we can do things two weeks out, but yet we still mess up. We need to trust Jesus in everything. We're not good enough on our own. So I want to lead us in a prayer to close today. And in this prayer, I wanted to ask that, I want you to ask God this question. Am I ready to surrender completely to you today? Maybe it's, you've done it lots before. Maybe you are doing it for the first time, but can you surrender to Jesus? I can't answer that for you, and I won't make you do that, but you can ask God, that. But in your head, or, for, or loud if you want to, just to say, God, am I ready? And maybe you say, yes. Am I, yes, I am ready. And if you're ready to do that, I want to invite you to join me in this. So if you could stand as we pray. And I, and, and I know I'm a guest speaker, so I can get away with a lot, but it won't be anything crazy. I'm part of a Fellowship Baptist Church, so I'm not going to get everyone to do crazy things, but I will get you to put out your hands if you like. So if you want to, I'm inviting you. If you don't want to, please don't. That would be exactly what I don't want. But if you want to surrender to Jesus in that way today, just to hold out your hands and to surrender to him as we pray. I'm going to close my eyes. So I'm not looking. So, um, but just if you want to surrender to Jesus, I think posture does make a difference. As Baptists, we don't always have posture, clap hands and raise hands. Not all of us do. But to surrender to Jesus, would you be willing to do that to give your all to Jesus? So I invite you to pray and to, to join me as I um, lift out my hands. Let's pray. Jesus, we know there are things in this life that have made us too comfortable and too self-reliant. We need to be depending on you, not earning a grace, but receiving it like a gift. There is nothing we can do and nothing we can't do that can change the way you view us and the way you love us, because you do love us. You love me. And every single one of the people here can say that... Jesus, you love me. And you want us, our heart, our allegiance, our whole selves. We gladly offer them up to you now. Show me your ways. Show me the ways in which I've been disobedient and lived for myself. Show me your grace. Show me your wisdom. Show me more of yourself. Change me. Change me to be more like you. And lead me. It is through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.